This week on the Pete the Planner Show, we answer your money questions. Here's how the show works. You email us, askpete at petetheplanner.com. That's askpete at petetheplanner.com. And by us, I mean Damien Dunn from Northern Indiana joins us now in his studio. Hello, Dame. Hey, Pete. Oh, good times. We're having good times indeed. Dame, we're jumping right into the email inbox because we have a lot to do today. This is a great question. Dear Pete, I recently took a job after being downsized in January. I'm making about $20,000 less. I accumulated a lot of credit card debt around $38,000. Some of the interest monthly is as high as the actual payment. Should I take a loan against my 401k to pay off the high balance ones and keep paying my lower balance ones or should I take the loan to pay off all the debt? All right, Dame. Dame. You know what? There's a lot here, a tremendous amount here. So where would you like to begin? Because you are the vice president of advice at your money line. I'd like to begin by seeing what's behind door number three, Monty. <laughs> yeah. What's the, what is the, what is the next option? Well, what is behind door number three, Dame? Uh, something that's probably not going to sound quite as, um, easy uh to this this uh poor person lori uh typically when we get into situations like these and by the way they're more common right now than maybe ever before pete just because of the tumultuous time we found ourselves in this first half of 2020 people are being forced to make some really really hard decisions and they do the best they can uh and now they're forced to deal with the consequences so we would much rather see if there's a way to make the numbers work within the income that you have. It might make, it might mean, I should say, making some fairly drastic changes. But if it's doable, it's going to be a much better option than taking a 401k loan out. What do you think? Well, yeah, I mean, I think you and I both feel that 401k loan is the last thing you should do. So we want to explore everything, including things people have never even considered as a possibility before we get to the loan. I, you know, look, this my, my first thing I want to say here doesn't actually address this person's question directly, but it really does indirectly. I, I want to know if you took a $20,000 hit, which by the way, and I, this is not facetious, good for you. Good for you for just saying, I'm not going to wait around till a higher paying job comes around because who knows where you'd be right now if you did that. So good for you for doing that. I think in a situation like this, you can't just look for behavior changes to solve your problem. I mean, Dame, we're talking what, $1,666 a month difference. You can't just cut that with behavior changes. You're going to need some to make some systemic changes. And that's where a lot of people fail is they assume, well, I'll just make some little changes and they don't necessarily do what they need to do by making the big changes. The uncomfortable changes that I was alluding to, you're exactly right. I'm not talking about going to shopping at a discount grocer or, or something like that. That will help for sure. But there may be some much bigger changes on a month to month basis that you need to consider housing is the biggest issue that, that most people are going to face or the biggest potential opportunity. If that's a real realistic op option for you, uh, housing is going to be one of the first things that you need to consider. It won't be comfortable, 
but it's something where you could potentially make up hundreds and hundreds of dollars a month in cash flow. Absolutely. So yes, that's the first thing Dame and I want you to do is to really look at the big picture, not the little things, the big picture. Okay. But now let's answer the question. Um, well, well, it actually plays into it, Dame, because if the bleeding hasn't stopped, if what has led to the $38,000 in credit card debt has not stopped, then it is still accumulating, not because of the interest, which it is too, but because of the behavior and because of the lifestyle, then getting rid of your 401k to solve the problem is going to be the worst thing that you could possibly do. If you're going to take money away from yourself for retirement, that money still has to go back into the uh, into the 401k plan. So yeah, it might be a little bit more manageable with, with the rates that are being charged. However, you're exactly right. If you are still having some uh, lingering issues from just how you lived your life when you were making $20,000 a year more, those are going to have to be addressed. I, I stand right beside Pete saying good on you for going out and finding that gig because I think our natural reaction would be, uh, you know what, I'm, I'm not settling for anything less than whatever I was making before. And that's just not the case for a lot of people. They're going to have to get out there and, and uh, find whatever employment they can now we're left to make the adjustments. And if that's the case, there's going to need to be some inspection going on. Yeah. I hate to come off as the, I told you so, cause this, this is not that, but this is why financial stability and why financial wellness matters because it's not all roses. It's not, not like your career goes in one straight upward line Sometimes there's going to be bumps and and it's your ability to live below your means that allows you to handle that. And by the way, Dame, that was just a dressed up. I told you so, but I don't want it to be. I, I do want that to be a lesson for others, but the person emailed us, that line is not really uh, helpful for them. The other thing about this, the situation is, is that it can impact anybody in any profession or any, um, level of socioeconomic standing. And it's not just a middle-class problem. I would argue that it, if it happens to somebody who makes a lot of money, this becomes even more challenging for them. You know, I, that's an excellent point because that, that has been something that's sort of uh, been bothering me over the last several months is, yes, I realize that people who have lower incomes are getting beat up right now. And, and you and I and our team, not only are we very sorry for that, but we're doing everything we can to address it as an organization, answering thousands of questions and emails and, and calls this year in that regard. However, Dame, and this is where we are divisive as an American people, is just because someone earns more money doesn't mean that they don't have similar problems. It, it actually reminds me of a lot of what's going on with the NFL right now and in baseball and, and basketball for that matter. But like the NFL players, they can opt out of the season, but people are griping. It's like, whoa, millionaires can't. No, 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 no. Just because someone makes more money, it doesn't mean the rules of, of safety change. If a person wants to accept millions of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars or less to opt out of the NFL season because they deem that to be the best thing for, for they and their family. Why are people on the outside judging it? I, I feel like people are so good at spending other people's money, you know? Yeah. The relationship that we have or that we think we have 
with um, athletes in different sports and expecting them to go out and perform regardless of circumstances or, or what they may be facing on a, a personal basis or just the environment that they find themselves in is really curious. I've, I've been guilty of it in the past. I will clearly admit that. But it's something that needs to be reconsidered, especially in this day and age that, and there are people too. And just because they make a whole bunch of money or made a whole bunch of money, that doesn't mean they aren't um, immune from, or they are immune from the same issues that the rest of us face. Well, yeah, yeah. It's like the, the, these guys that are in the bubble that are going to be in the bubble for a very long time without their families. It's like people are like, well, yeah, but they make millions of dollars. I'm talking about the NBA bubble specifically right. now. Well, what if they, there, there was a guy last night, oh, wow, watching a game, um, Schroeder, Dennis Schroeder, who plays for, I think, the Thunder. His his wife uh, just had a baby, I think, yesterday or time one today. And so he's going to come back to the bubble when that's over. He's going to miss the first couple weeks of yeah. being a dad with this baby. And it's like, yeah. why do we look at that? I don't know how we got here today in this topic on this show. But it always frustrates me when we look at other people's problems and we put them below our own because the person's in a different financial standing. And it's with that that we're going to take our first commercial break. So coming up after the show, more gripey righteousness right here on the Pete the Planner Show. I'm the gripey guy. Back on the Pete the Planner Show, answering your money questions. That's how the show works. So email us, askpete at petetheplanner.com. That's askpete at petetheplanner.com. And usually on Fridays, we do stream live to Facebook, noon Eastern time. So be part of the show. We always appreciate that. Uh, Dame, oh man, it was hard getting off my high horse during the break, but I made it down. Congratulations for not breaking your arm. Hello, Peter. I came across your newspaper article about 529 accounts. Great comparison of 529 to a grocery cart. My son is, by the way, time out. Um, I don't remember that. I, I was going to make you explain it. I don't remember. My son is seven years old trying to figure out what is an optimal amount to save per month if he goes to a private college. Can you please advise? Is it okay to split my savings across multiple 529 accounts? I am a Florida resident and do not get any state tax advantage. Are there any other savings vehicles that you can suggest for being able to auto deduct invest in a reoccurring basis? Regards, Shri. I think that's pronounced SRI, Shri. Sure. Well, first of all, I have no idea what that metaphor was. I, 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 truth be told, this is from a I, the person must have been Googling around and found an old column of mine. I don't remember it. I can't wait to Google Pete the Planner 529 grocery cart and see what results I would results do it right now, but it would mess up the flow of the show. And you know how this show goes. It's it's just filled with flow. Flow dependent. Um, Like progressive. Hmm. All right. So a couple things here. Number one, there's two tax advantages, if you will, at least, to a 529 plan. There's the idea that it could provide some sort of immediate state tax benefit, depending on what state you're in. For instance, we are domiciled here in the great state of Indiana, the Hoosier state, the crossroads of America. I think that's Indianapolis. Anyway, uh, we have a great state tax credit. If you contribute to a 529 plan, you get a 20% tax credit up to uh, a $1,000 tax credit based on your contribution. So that's great. That, that would induce a person to put money into the plan. Disclosure, I'm a paid endorser for the college state uh, college savings plan. 
However, in other states, Dame, like Florida, there is not that benefit. But what is the other benefit that Shri is uh, ignoring here? Oh, all sorts of tax advantages when it comes time to pay for that education, Pete. Yeah. I mean, because it's not just about the now. It's about how your money grows uh, unmolested Mm. and how you withdraw money without other hindrances. Correct? Correct. So let's uh, say you put in $5,000 into a 529. In the state of Florida, you don't get that income tax uh, break up front. So that money will grow and it will grow um, tax-free until it is time to use that money. When you take it out, assuming it's for a qualified purpose, that money comes out tax-free and you get to use it and not worry about it. So you get all that growth in uh, in returns and potentially interest or dividends or whatever it may be. And it goes directly to pay for that education. And it's a beautiful thing. In the state of Indiana, as an example, uh, a 529 is triple tax advantaged, which again means that you get a, an immediate tax benefit. You don't have a tax obligation as the account grows in value. And when you withdraw the money, you don't have tax obligations. That is exactly like one of our favorite financial vehicles, a health savings account or an HSA. However, in Florida, it is still double tax advantage with the tax deferral and no tax consequences at withdrawal. So Dame, what other vehicles to Shri's question here, what other vehicles will either give this person triple tax advantage or double tax advantage? And is that double tax advantage alternative just as good as the 529 within his grasp? Double tax advantage, potentially a Roth IRA might fit the bill here, uh, depending on the age of, uh, of Sri. However, there are plenty of things to be wary of with using a Roth IRA to help fund college. Shall we talk about those, Pete? I think we shall. So uh, Roth IRAs, if you're not familiar with them, they are funded with after-tax money. That money then grows, and after the age of 59 and a half, uh, you can start taking that money out. And the earnings on that money, those contributions and the earnings, tax-free. It's a beautiful way to save for retirement. I am a big fan of Roth IRAs for retirement. Pete, do you concur? Yes. Fantastic. Roth IRAs for 529s, or I'm sorry, Roth IRAs for college savings, I should say, eh, maybe not quite as keen on for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, education is considered an, a, a reason to be able to avoid the penalty on taking money out of a Roth IRA. However, you will still pay income tax on the earnings of the Roth IRA when you take it out. Now, you can always get the contributions out of a Roth IRA, use it for whatever the heck you want, but those earnings is what come into play. So you may end up paying income tax on those earnings when they come out. Not a great situation. So it's almost that 1.5 tax advantage, but not double tax advantage, because again, your contribution comes out tax-free, but the growth doesn't. So it doesn't actually equal the benefits of a 529. If you're over 59 and a half when this happens, then yeah, you could take that money out and not have to worry about it. It, the, The income will, or sorry, the earnings will just be part of a normal distribution. You know, let me think about this. How old I'm going to be when my kids are, okay, I'm 40. Let me do some math here, everybody. Good luck. I'm 42. Ted, my youngest is eight. 
So he will graduate at 22 years old from college. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that is 14 years from now, right? Yes. Add. I'll be 56. I won't be able to do it. Uh, You're in a similar boat as I am, correct? Yeah. So there's one other catch potentially here as well. Uh, Roth IRA distributions, whether it's just contributions or the the full boat and the earnings and the contributions, they're going to do a number on any financial aid that you may be eligible for because those distributions will be reported on the FAFSA and they'll count as income for the beneficiary, for the student in that case. So uh, you could drastically reduce the amount of aid that you're eligible for if you don't time the distributions correctly coming out of a Roth IRA. Let's complicate this and alienate everybody. What if, Dame, your child is born, a guy comes to your door, knocks Hello. on your door, you welcome him in, he sits at your kitchen table and sells you permanent life insurance as a vehicle to fund college, to borrow against the plan and then pay for college that way. Um, in what mechanism? Because that's a thing that, that is certainly a thing. Where, where does that line up from a tax advantage standpoint as compared to a Roth or a 529? Oh, permanent life insurance for college. Um, I'll say it. I don't like it, but go yeah, ahead. I, I'm, I'm not a fan of it. I mean, there's going to be a, the, the insurance is going to be expensive to start with, but if no, you go ahead and explain it. <laughs> well, so you can, um, use a permanent life insurance product, which grows a cash value grows just like the equity within your home grows. And you're able to borrow against that in the form of a withdrawal. It's a withdrawal, but you call it borrowing for tax reasons. And you, you could do that. You could quote unquote, rob the cash value to pay for college education out of your life insurance. Um, I think using life insurance is this way as a borrowing mechanism to create an income stream or to have a lump sum it is an okay thing to do if you've maxed out other opportunities specific for retirement. I, I think permanent life insurance can make a lot of sense for people who max out the retirement plans at work, both they and their significant other they contribute to Roths or traditional to the extent that they're allowed to. They max out of their HSA to the extent that they're allowed to. And they're looking for more tax sensitive ways to store money. And in that circumstance, I absolutely think uh, permanent life insurance can play a role in that. However, college is just a different story altogether. I'm so glad I brought that up with like 10 seconds left in the segment. I'm, I'm a genius. All right, Dame, here's what we're going to do after the break. We've got a question about a pension. So that's what we're going to do. Next on the Pete the Planner Show, I'm Pete the Planner. Back on the Pete the Planner Show, answering your money questions. Oh, is a beautiful week, depending on where you are. And if you're listening on this podcast, like two, two, uh, two years later or something like that. Here's the thing. If you're listening on a podcast, today is August 6, 2020. That's when we're recording this. So if you're if you're searching your archives and you come across this episode in 2022, let me tell you what's going on right now. We're in a global pandemic. We're in a deep recession. It was great weather this week. All right, Dame, the next question coming in. Uh, mm, mm, Pete, I took a $90,000 lump sum payment from an employer. They list the employer here, Dames. I'm choosing not to go that direction. Good call. Uh, they deducted 20% per the IRS. 
At tax time, I had to add the $90,000 to my annual salary and was taxed a higher rate, say 26%, and was allowed to deduct the 20% tax that was originally withheld. I have a pension with a different company of $140,000. I asked this other company if they could withhold more than 20%, say 30%. I was told they could only withhold 20%. How can I avoid what seems to be a ripoff to me and still take the lump sum payment, Derek? Oh, boy. All right. So, Dame, I, I mean, I think it's a pretty easy answer. I don't want to be weird and rude and presumptive, but uh, do you want to give it a crack or... The answer, the answer is Pete, stop asking tax questions. Well, it's not really a, it's not much of a tax question. No, it's, you're right. No one's getting ripped off. No. He was made whole by crediting back that 20%. Yeah. He just had to hold on to the money and paid what was due. So here's the thing. When you have 20% withheld from a retirement withdrawal, or in this case, a lump sum distribution from a pension, then they withhold 20% because it's a, uh, you know, it's a, it's a nice amount that takes care of most people's tax obligation. But in this person's circumstance, that lump sum combined with their income took them over a particular tax threshold. Thus their tax rate was 26%. So there's not a whole lot they could do given they took that lump sum. So they just owed the extra 6% at that time. I I mean, I, I hate, doing this, but isn't that just poor planning, Dame? I would like to have thought that somebody would have explained the the process to them uh, before it all went down. Uh, maybe they were confused with um, the distribution being sent to an IRA uh, versus uh, taking it in cash because uh, the, the, the withholding gets treated a little bit differently there. But yeah, I mean, if you're going to take the distribution and put it in your bank account, you're going to pay some tax on it. And that's just the way it works. Yeah. The, the, the second company that he wants to have withheld more good thought, actually um, the idea that they're not withholding more, um, you know, you know, I've never run up against that. I always feel like when people say they want to withheld withhold more, it gets done. So maybe it's just a company specific thing there. So all he's going to have to do is set a little extra money aside from the lump sum, just put it into a separate bank account. It's, by the way, this guy's taken two lump sums. At what point do you think a pension choice would have been a little better for them? We don't know this person's circumstances at all. We don't know their assets. Uh, we can slightly guess based on their tax rate what their income is. But that's two lump sums a person has taken when I generally think in normal circumstances that taking the monthly payout makes more sense than the lump sum. Same. I, the companies, at least one of those companies, uh, I would feel like is going to have a solid guaranteed pension. They're, they're not going to be in trouble anytime soon. Because you know the name, you're saying because you, you see the names and the yeah. question, or are you saying just on average? Yeah, because I see the names. Uh, okay. I see the names. So I, I feel real comfortable with one. I'm not familiar with the other. And much like you, man, guaranteed income can be a lifesaver for some people in retirement. Now, that makes me wonder even more, just like you, Pete, what is the situation that Derek's facing here? I mean, maybe he just absolutely crushed it. Maybe there were stock options that he was able to get in on when he was uh, working for these two companies. And you know, he's a multimillionaire outside of these. And this is just uh, fun money for him. Who knows? But then why would he be listening to us? 
I also have to say to take two lump sums like that. Again, we don't know his age. I love the guessing here. It makes the show really fun. I worry a little bit about what is he thinking here? Because he's not doing a, a rollover. Right. He could take the lump sum and do a rollover and put it into an IRA. No, dude, he's taking the money. Let's not gloss over that. I mean, if if this was, oh, I can do better myself, I don't want the pension payout, I'm just going to take the lump sum and invest it myself because I can do that, then he would roll it over. There would be no tax implications. But what he's saying is, in not so many words, is I, I'm taking the money now. First off, I hope everything's okay with this fella because that's a lot of money to have taxed, which means he either has no idea what he's doing which I'm increasingly feeling like that, or he's in big trouble. As we were talking a few minutes ago, I thought, man, we could really turn this and feel really guilty by saying, what if he's in trouble? Yeah, <laughs> and, totally. and there's there's some legit issues going on here. That's and a lot of trouble though, dude. Yeah, it entirely. It's It's a whole bunch of trouble. Not only for the immediate situation that he's in, but the future as well, because those are just um, killing a bunch of chickens there. I keep thinking about this this week specifically, and, and I'm internal. This is this is for me in my life, and if anyone else wants to reflect on their own, I'll leave that to them. But how often we just assume the trajectory of our good fortune will continue, un you know, mm-hmm. unchanged. Mm-hmm. Um, it reminds me of the classic, you buy a house you can't afford, assuming you're going to grow into the payment because your payment, because your income has consistently increased. And the people that have done that in the last 24 months or so, they're like a, a, a forgotten population right now. How horrible of a situation they're in right now, if they're statistically part of the group of people who have now a lesser income or or no income because of the recession. I I think people just assume things have worked out, they will always work out. And and what I'm I'm not saying being pessimistic, I'm saying that you need to be realistic and I don't want to say assume the worst, but you got to plan for the worst, no? We love patterns. And once a pattern is established and we recognize it, we are likely to just assume that's the way it's going to be almost all the time. And if we know that we earn certain amounts of dollars and we can expect maybe a little bit of a bump year in and year out, it's easy for us just to fall into that trap to say, this is the way it's always going to be and start to base future decisions or present decisions that will impact our future on stuff that we have absolutely no idea. My wife and I fairly recently had a couple opportunities to do some stuff that would have stretched us. We probably could have pulled it off, but it would have stretched us. And it was just like, man, I, I, the hair kind of goes up on the back of your neck and it's the only place I got hair left. And you think, man, there's no way that I would sleep doing this right now. Right. Do you think uh, this is a real large generalization, you know, you know how the show works. Do you think that's a, an element of greed that exists in many of us? Man, I greed. I don't know if greed's the right word that I would use there. I, it's on the spectrum, no. I mean, it's it's this denial of reality, which I think when you get into money turns into greed. I'm not going to be that harsh. I, I think people are just 
comfortable with with their circumstances and they anticipate them to stay the same largely the same and they bank their future on it and make decisions today that could come back and bite them big time yeah i don't know if it's greed you're right because this same concept happens in relationships Mm. in health in fitness in in so many aspects i mean it is a behavior issue where you get complacent um, and, and I'm not being accusatory because I started this out by talking about these are things I've thought of myself of when you take on risks and you assume that good fortune will continue, but for no particular reason other than you assume the pattern will continue, like you said. So I think this is one of those examples where people are going to learn when this is all said and done this time that stability is more valuable than you think. And it's with that, we take another break. Coming up after the break, the BWAM, the biggest waste of money of the week. This is the Pete the Planner Show. This week's BWAM, biggest waste of money of the week right here on the Pete the Planner Show is the Balmore Times Aston Martin Black DB5 1964. Last winter, Aston Martin and Balmore officially announced they would be partnering for some upcoming surprises. And the first thing the iconic brands are ready to reveal is this exclusive whiskey. The release dips into the diminishing stock of Black Balmore, first distilled in 1964. It's become one of the most sought after single malts on earth. That same era is important to Aston Martin as well. As 1963 marked the launch of the famous Bond preferred Aston Martin DB5. Only 25 bottles of Black Balmore DB5 are being released, and each one is handcrafted by a bespoke glass studio from Scotland, taking up to a week to complete. The bottles will be housed in a handmade presentation box inspired by the distillery's coastal home with a deep blue color along with a custom solid brass latch and hinges plated with nickel. The collaborative release is slated for the fall of 2020. Dame, so many things here. Number one, I love a good pricey booze. And the bottle is beautiful. However, I want you to guess the price of one of 25 bottles of this uh, well-respected liquid 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 to be clear it does not come with a db5 it's just the name of the whiskey that is correct and it might be pronounced bowmore but i'm calling it bowmore and you're american i don't know what do you think Uh, okay uh just a a normal bottle fifth the fifth of liquor yeah uh 20 grand yeah, that's a good guess, but it is $65,600. What? Like I, we talked earlier in the show about people are too worried about spending other people's money. You know, that's like a whole thing. Oh, how could you do that? It's like, you worry about your own money. But if you're spending $65,000 for a bottle of booze, and I like booze. Oh, you know, I like booze. I mean, isn't that's pretty self-indulgent, no? How do you get to the point in your life where you say, you know what? That looks delicious. It's worth $65,000. You know, maybe what you did do is that you are Jeff Bezos, who this, just this week sold $3 billion, I believe, of uh, stock in Amazon. 
I believe that is $3 billion or $4 billion. Maybe he was just like, yeah, maybe a little something nice for myself. Just so you know, uh, Amazon investors, full disclosure, I own some Amazon, that that isn't necessarily an indication that he doesn't believe in Amazon. It was a structured liquidation of his holdings over time. And the belief is he takes a lot of that money and puts it into his space travel company, which is called like blue space or something like that. But that's the sort of person that I can think can afford the old $64,000 bottle of booze. Yeah. I, I thought maybe Jeff just needed some walking around money and uh, freed up some, some stock to, to keep some folding paper in his pocket. He's certainly not between a rock and a hard place, which brings us to Dwayne, the rock Johnson becomes part of me. I feel Man, these transitions. I don't know. I'm under the gun time wise today. And I feel like I just got to bring it anyway. He becomes part owner of the XFL uh, and purchased the league for $15 million with the partners of Redbird Capital Partners to help with that acquisition. Dame, people are blowing the rock. Dwayne Johnson, a lot of trouble for this decision. $15 million for the XFL, which has now failed twice and is now on its third life. Here's where I go with this. A, oh boy. It's only $15 million, okay? <laughs> and B, The Rock has pretty much succeeded at literally everything he's doing right now. He has a silly show on NBC called The Titan Games. Yeah. Have you ever watched this? I have. My kids love it. I get sucked into it every time. I love every Rock action movie. I used to watch the show Ballers on HBO. Mm-hmm. He he has a tequila brand that's doing really well. At what point can the average person just step back and stop criticizing someone when they don't know anything about the deal? I, I know. Never mind. I'm answering my own question. It's the American way. We just criticize everything that we know nothing about. He's he's going to some days. It's very possible that people look back and say he only paid 15 million dollars for this. It's like you find an old, you know, vintage car. I'm doing a car metaphor, Dame. So just sit back and giggle at me as I trip over myself. It's like you find an old vintage car, let's say a 1984 Ford Bronco, and it's in rough shape, but you only pay a thousand dollars for the body. And then you, you slap on some Bondo and buy some things off of eBay. And before you know it, it's worth $180 million, right? Just like that. It's exactly how it works, especially with those those vaunted 84 Broncos. You know what people used to roll around doing in their 1984 Broncos were making phone calls on their mobile phone. Sprint was a storied American brand, but it is no longer. T-Mobile, which closed its $30 billion merger with the wireless carrier in April, officially retired the Sprint brand on Monday. Dame, it is, first of all, shocking how good my transitions are today. And number two, isn't it strange to see a storied brand just up and disappear because of a merger? I was thinking about the, the different things that Sprint has been involved in over the, the years. I mean, they were NASCAR's sponsor. It was the Sprint Cup for a while. And now they're just gone. I, it's staggering to think how quickly fortunes can change in corporate America. Now, we're going to instantly uh, shelve the show here by 
predicting what's going to happen with the stimulus bill this week on a Thursday. We're recording on the 6th of August today. The show usually airs on the weekend. That would be the 8th and 9th of August. And there's a whole day and a half for lawmakers to trip over a deal and have it work. I'm not holding my breath. Dame, where are we now? Um, are we getting close to the point where this could this could happen? Since they haven't done anything and the economy hasn't fully collapsed, that someone gets the idea and says, well, maybe we don't have to do anything. People survive two weeks without stimulus. Maybe they can just keep it going. Do you, do you think we're getting closer to that point or do you think we're getting closer to a point to a deal? I think it's closer to a deal than everybody just kind of saying, huh, who knew and walking away from it. I, I think there will be there will be some kind of package that's presented to the country and we'll get some kind of benefit out of it. What it will look like exactly must be some kind of lump sum payment like we had last time and probably some sort of unemployment benefit as well. What exactly? Eh, your guess is as good as mine. I'm dipping my toe into political waters here. I don't mean to, but I say that every time. But I, I've got my own beef here. Okay, so I'm going to talk about the Postal Service, okay? Mm-hmm. Not because of mail-in ballots, because I, I don't really care to weigh in on that one way or the other. Maybe that makes me a coward. I don't really know. I think businesses are really suffering because of the Postal Service issues. And that brings me bigger concerns. So I actually hope there's money allocated to pay overtime with the postal service so people can get their medicines. They can get their checks that their clients are sending them, that they can get their bicycling accessories that they ordered three weeks ago from Chino, California, that they're just sitting in a warehouse unfulfilled by the U.S. Postal Service, which is no fault of their own, but of the reality we find ourselves in. Dame, do you think, because I've seen the I've seen the, the articles do you think the Postal Service will be part of this stimulus bill or do you think it's too much of a hot issue, hot button issue because of the implications of mail-in balloting? I think it gets left on the side. I I, I think everything will, every uh, bit of capital they have will try and keep it off, off the uh, bill. Yeah, I'm with you too. <laughs> totally with you. I just hope the $70 million for K through 12 gets through because I know schools are struggling to some degree. Well, Dame, that's all we have time for this week. You and I are going to work on the technical side of this so we can get back on Facebook Live next week. Dame, a good day and a good weekend to you, my friend. You too. Hey, everybody else, send you good vibes because good vibes are all that's in the budget. This is the Pete the Planner Show, and I'm that fella, Pete the Planner.